This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. On the podcast today, we have Adam Tornes. I met Adam, I think, the seven, six years ago at a Colorado product meetup, and he was running a session over at the old Pivotal Labs office. Now, Adam has come from Twitter, and he is now at a company called SwingU, and I would love to hear more about his journey and leadership and excited to share that with y'all this week. Adam, why don't you give us a little elevator pitch about yourself, and then we can kind of dive into our first question. I've been in product for over a decade across a couple small startups in the Colorado area, spent eight years at Twitter, and over the last nine months, I've been head of product or chief product officer at SwingU, which is a golf application and golf technology business that's been around for around 10 years, but very much operates as a startup. Early in that journey, I founded what is now Colorado Product Foundation to help selfishly build a community around product management in Colorado to learn from others. And it's kind of flourished over the last decade with pulling people like you and I together. I've learned so much just from being a part of that community. We always talk about a community of practice, building those up with folks and just organically putting that together. That's how this podcast was started as well. It's wonderful to have those professional careers. So tell me a little bit about that journey into product initially, and then through your promotions, through your several different companies in more detail, that journey into leadership for you. My product journey really started as an engineer out of school. I worked for a startup in Boston in the web analytics field, and we had a pretty progressive founder and CTO who embraced the practice of product management when it was pretty nascent and immature outside of Silicon Valley at that time. There weren't a lot of companies practicing it properly across the broader technology sector, as you and I found a decade ago in Colorado, right? But in around 2006, I was an engineer junior engineer out of school. And I had an interest in business and strategy beyond just writing code. And I didn't think I was going to be an engineer for my entire career. I was fortunate to be able to dabble in some strategy and product stuff with the product management team there. They kind of saw that interest and passion and additional skill set beyond just writing code and following direction. I wasn't exactly sure how to get into it. I decided I was no longer interested in being a software engineer and actually went to business school to help facilitate and round out that skill set in more strategy and marketing and all that stuff. Landed an internship in Boulder that was focused on product management, did that, went back to that company after school, was there for about a year before that company was acquired. Spent two years at a vendor of theirs, a company many people in the region know called Gniff. And it was really an earlier success story in the Boulder tech scene. They were acquired by Twitter. Spent about eight years at Twitter before leaving this past March, before things changed for that company. And that was kind of just serendipitous. We could spend 
full podcast talking about that. Then I was really looking for that kind of next growth opportunity and really being the the head of product. And I was really looking for something that was in the startup field that I was, had some passion or interest about. And that's kind of what led, led me to swing you. A lot of my transition into product leadership happened at Twitter. Like I said, I was there eight years. I joined Ganip as a pretty early employee. I think it was the 20th employee, the first non-executive product person and kind of operated as a product manager for a long time, kind of took on more and more responsibility over time at Twitter. And then we began to move towards more of a GM type model where even though product managers weren't directly managing their cross-functional partners and peers, they were kind of guiding the ship on the strategy around different product areas. And so product area grew. Ultimately, I think the flip of the switch for me was I launched an entirely new business unit within the developer products organization that I was a part of from the acquisition. And we spearheaded new products targeting new audiences and new customer types from like square one of we have this idea. We think that there's this market opportunity. Let's do a ton of product discovery and customer discovery to understand their jobs to be done. And I really introduced that concept and framework to the organization. And it ultimately turned into a huge success. I led the hiring of a cross-functional team to support that business beyond product. Then that model kind of really resonated with our organization that we replicated it elsewhere. And I, my sphere of influence really grew from there. Most of my time at Twitter, I was not managing people. I was a IC PM, managed a couple junior PMs for a while, went back to an IC role as a staff product manager for a while while we really launched this new business. And then Continued with that staff PM title later on when I did add more reports as my sphere of influence grew. Over the course of that eight years, you were part of this company that was acquired by Twitter. You kind of get as, you know, merged and there's culture matching and all sorts of fun stuff I'm sure you experienced during that time. Now you're in this new world where there might be new ways of doing things. There might be other processes to follow, other people to collaborate with, other opportunities within that organization that has opened up within that merger, what was the first thing that you started to gain your initial traction on as a part of this new organization? Was it one thing in particular where you pegged with scaling the merger and acquisition or were you pegged with a specific area? Post-acquisition, one of my early focuses was I was kind of the designated product leader, I would say, for like transitioning mm. a lot of our existing systems into Twitter's way of working and infrastructure and stuff like that. But I also led the development of our first brand new product for our organization and the Gannett oh. team within Twitter, within the way Twitter works and builds software and all of the kind of centralized infrastructure and technology that they had. What was one of the nuances to the process change that you kind of experienced that was either drastically different or something that you learned within that process that stuck out to you? The big thing in this continue to be a theme for all of my time at Twitter was just the number of dependencies to get mm. things done, building relationships with teams that you're not going to interact with every day, understanding and alignment with stakeholders you don't know and you're meeting for the first time and getting buy-in for other teams to do work to achieve your goals when they might not understand your goals, your business at all. The product we built was focused on a developer customer and the teams that we were dependent on had never done anything 
like that. They had built infrastructure and technologies to support consumer use cases. It was a search related product. There were a lot of requirements that our team needed from them to make it a viable product. And they had no alignment to our goals and incentives or understanding of why our team mattered or what we were doing. There was just tons of advocacy, evangelism, building relationships, frankly, to get things done at a huge company like that. And that was all brand new to me. There's a lot of dependencies to, in order to get things done. Was there anything in particular that worked well uniquely for you in this case that you had success at this organization? At the time I was operating out of Boulder and our team was still in an office together with no other Twitter employees. Mm -hmm. And Twitter was basically centralized in San Francisco at the time. They're a much more distributed company over the next eight years or whatever, but pretty much all technology was in SF. Mm -hmm. I think two keys for me were making the time to travel and have face-to-face -face conversations to build those relationships. And two was a method that our CTO at our VP of engineering at Gnip had kind of advocated for, which was get everybody together and have a few drinks and relationships and empathy and understanding just go from there and just build from there. So like we got the team that we were dependent on that we need to build this relationship with convinced to help us together. And we went to a bar after work and things progressed from there. The attentiveness we gave to that team for the next mm. five years was really something. They were an infrastructure team that just operated in the background, right? They had teams that were dependent on them, but not a lot of teams actually. So they had to prioritize and staff rank across teams, but the investment we made in personal relationships and just being thorough in our rationale and helping them understand why it all mattered so far in the success of that relationship forward. And we became dependent on them for a lot of other things too. Building that relationship, they would essentially be one of your customers almost. And then you kind of understood yeah. what matters to them. You really took the time and energy to meet with them, understand their wants and needs, and then get on the same level. So then when you do need those things, you can better communicate that to them. We're also a customer yeah. of theirs. And in a lot of ways, it's no different than like you giving a little bit more attention to your yeah. best customers, right? The ones that are deeply engaged and giving you feedback, all of that. Yeah. You were a hit, you were a success, you started growing. Now tell me more about the zero to one thing. How did that idea come to place and what were the steps that you took to actually make that happen? At the time, like the growth of our B2B revenue business at Twitter was slowing. That was the reason our organization really mattered at Twitter for a long time. But we served millions of developers each month that we didn't make a dime from. But we had ignored them for years because that's not how we were incentivized. That's not mm. the impact that we delivered to Twitter. And so we didn't really know what those developers were trying to achieve, what their goals were, anything about them. Or could we even make money from some eventually? So we set out to build that understanding because we needed to diversify our impact to Twitter. So we underwent an extensive jobs to be done research program over probably six months that I led and organized across a group of cross-functional folks. Tell me more about that. How did you structure it? What was it? Did you use a third party? As a combination of things, we did basically two phases. We had some semblance of some of the personas in our ecosystem, but we, even with that, we knew very little about them. And we had some like sketch jobs to be done that we had like heard about or seen about mm -hmm. over the years. And basically we broke the project into a bunch of different groups across those personas and sketch jobs and assigned different product managers and it was really just our product management team, honestly, to begin with. We had marketing folks involved too, to go 
talk to developers that fit these rough personas and begin to dig into their true jobs to be done and motivations and experiences with the platform and understand how we could have increased impact and support for them and then allow us to understand how they matter to our impact and how we could build a business that supports them that also supports Twitter. Just to review that, you built out personas you, or you had some initially and then maybe you took another pass at refining these and then you kind of immobilized the other PMs that served these jobs or personas to start to interview, to analyze the jobs to be done and start surfacing insights in order to investigate or build this case. That's exactly right for step one. There weren't deep personas as like academic researchers. That's about as deep as we knew at the time. Or building consumer apps on Twitter. That's about the depth of those personas. What did they end up being? Um, I'm curious. Was it way more detailed than that? We ended up orienting more around the jobs to be done. Some of the jobs to be done were like make money, have fun. The big one that ultimately I oriented towards later in my time was enhance the Twitter conversation or the Twitter experience for consumers. Understand what's happening was the big academic research related jobs. That was like all internal. That was a three month project. Had some partnership from our internal research team to like structure how we were going to do it, but we didn't have dedicated researchers in our organization. So it was kind of go figure it out. And I was the one like the expert uh, jobs to be done after some like training sessions that I did externally and reading some of the books like that and figured it out. But then as a supplement to go deeper, we engaged an external vendor to do an additional research project over another three month period to further flesh out those jobs and bring their expertise and jobs to be done to the project. Do you mind sharing the trainings or books you read for our listeners? The big one was Competing Against Luck by Clayton Christensen. That was my foundation that's still go-to that I would recommend to anybody. And then we did a training session with one of the founders of the Jobs Been Done concept. And then when Coffee and Kale Compete, I think is the other big one. And I can't think of the others, but we did a trip, like I said, we did a training with one of the experts of Jobs Been Done that went over everything with our product leaders that were doing the research and the cross-functional team members. I guess we did have developer relations and sales involved in the process too, because we were doing jobs to be done on our B2B customers too, to increase the depth of understanding of them and try to figure out how we could serve them better. How did the organization support you with this? Did you have to make a business case to go and invest in all this? I think this is a very common problem that a lot of teams struggle with. The advocacy for product design or for user research, it's so impactful, but it's very hard to communicate that value if you're dealing with a budget right? as an organization. It was kind of twofold. It was knowledge and understanding from our leadership team in the organization, particularly our product leader, that we needed to figure this out if we were going to be successful going forward. Otherwise, our contribution to Twitter as an organization was going to decline as a percent of impact, if you will. So we were going to get less funding in terms of people and things that we needed to do to grow and scale and deliver the impact we want. At a big company like that, if you're not growing, you're dying to some degree. So we need to figure out how to stay, keep from dying. And so there was understanding we needed to find something else and we didn't know anything about our customers to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's that level of buy-in. And then our product leader was just like, Adam, go figure this out. I was pulled off of any other product responsibilities essentially at the time. 
and became a full-time user researcher, which was pretty cool. I was looking for to do something different at Twitter than what I had been doing for a long time. And this was kind of the jumping off point to doing that and all of that. I love this progression and thanks for going into the details here now. It sounds like regardless of any organization, your leadership has to have buy-in on these things and really it helps facilitate some of the things that we need to get done in the organizations. I love that they're building the environment and supporting the environment, especially because there is urgency and they can tie the output of what they're asking you to do to the desired impact that they're looking for. When you're at this point, you've read these books, you've started this process, you worked with an agency or this third party. Now, what did they output? Was that the point that you actually developed the concept in terms of time frame there? We had a hunch going into the addition phase with the vendor and none of it had to do with revenue. It was how can we partner with developers to support the consumer experience on Twitter and enhance that for our users? Because many developers had done this for a long time. That's really how Twitter became Twitter was the influence of developers very early on. Twitter over time did a lot of silly things that hurt the developer community and their relationship with it. But that was one. It's like, how do we work with that community? And that was the enhanced job to be done developers that just deeply cared about Twitter and wanted to have an impact and make it better for themselves and others. And then the other was at the time, probably less so today, Twitter really cared about having a positive impact in the world. And that's not tangible, not quantitative, but academic researchers played a huge role and they were very active in using Twitter data to understand what's happening in the world, published lots of research that helps the world understanding what's happening Mm. in the world. That was the lowest hanging fruit because we had long built data products as our B2B offering. What they needed was data and better access to data and a lot of non-product things. Well, I had happened to identify them as a leading sizable candidate in the first round of interviews. They were one of the personas that I was responsible for exploring further. And while the vendor was doing general research to supplement what we found, I spent those next three months going super deep academic researchers and their jobs to be done. At that point, we had to decide where are we going to invest? And I built the business case to invest in academic researchers with additional people and support. So that went all the way to Jack. CEO of Twitter for approval. And we got some limited headcount to start to build out a team to support them in different ways. And that was the origin of that GM model. We hired a product marketer, we hired a program manager, and we hired a developer relations person to support this community and this audience specifically. From this initial hunch through all the way to getting it approved, what was that time frame? We had with our major product launch was probably about a year and a half from start to finish. That's another thing at big companies is like things don't move as quickly, but we did the research, had the business case, did the hiring, and then figured out how to interweave our product requirements in with all the other product requirements. We didn't get an additional engineering team or support to build this out. Mm. It was like, figure out how to build it within what you have. So that was one of the contributors to really getting it to market too. Well, wonderful. And then, you know, it takes off without a hitch, I'm assuming. It was actually a game changer for the market. I don't think it could have gone any better from the start, which was super well received. And then I continued to grow from there until more recently. 
that's just a testament to how valuable that upfront research is, right? In our in our practice. Yeah. I think that is so undervalued where I see a lot of teams, especially being ahead of product more recently, initially when I joined, they're very much execution oriented. They're, everything was task ticket takers and just, you know, execution. And whether that's a good skill to understand and to know, it's just a little piece of the work that really needs to be done to then make sure that you have the impact and look at the difference, right? I mean, you're a testament to that. And then that time, it's just be patient with these things. It takes some time, but look at the results that it delivers. And that is very hard to sell at smaller organizations. Maybe that's a good segue into your journey into becoming a CPO of a smaller startup. Now you don't have that, you know, bureaucracy, red tape, dependency, what have you. The the relationships are all there. You're all in this one room, maybe. Now tell me about that journey and what have you learned within that transition? I know that's a broad question, but maybe what were some of the things the first month or so that were like those shocking moments of realization? The first big shock was the development process and the lack of muscle for shipping customer value or shipping anything to some degree. That was one of the first things I had to jump on was mm. the team had struggled to implement Agile for six months before I got there. They had long been a kind of a waterfall shop. I think this is something we tend to glaze over because we're so familiar. Can you articulate what were they doing before that caused them to be classified as waterfall? And then what were the changes that made them more Agile? It was really like grand project definition with tons of requirements that would take months to execute and then ship it all at once or don't ship it at all. And it just gets shelved because either it no longer matters, people leave the company or priority ship and then you never come back to it. The number of open threads that had never kind of gotten shipped and resolved over the last nine months has been pretty shocking, including things that I'm learning right from the start, like our huge priorities and we, why didn't we ship this? And then months later, I figure out like, oh, we're actually 90% of the way there. We, they just never came back to it because they shifted to their priorities. I've seen very effective agile, I've never adhered to like scrum or any very structured formal methodology, but brought some like hybrid of what I've seen work really well to the team. And the team was very excited to do it. They tried to execute some dogmatic methods of agile that people just couldn't buy into. And it was really hard to follow. And this was a little, little more middle ground. Tell me some of those changes or th this process that you tasked them with. Like what did that, what was the ask? What was the change of behavior? One of the big things was we had 30 person meetings to do sprint planning and stuff like that, that most of the team was not engaged or impacted and just nothing got done. And so just splitting into smaller teams and using like smaller meetings with focused agenda and intent um, were big. We added, in some cases, we took away meetings. In some cases, we added meetings to uh, like facilitate more. I hate this word, but I don't know a better word to use it, but grooming and making sure that everybody understands what a ticket represent and what the expectations are beyond the written user story and the written details. A lot like more first just, principles, fundamentals kind of thing yeah, that you're kind yeah, of get nuanced. back to the yeah. basics. Yeah. We, quickly move to two week sprints. Like, okay, we need to iteratively ship smaller things that build towards the bigger goal, see progress and results. And the most important thing early on wasn't even what we were shipping. It was like build a muscle to actually ship things and get things done. And it's kind of a turnaround in that regard for sure. Didn't take long for Love us that. to get back on track. Now we're really hitting on all cylinders, I would say. 
of that transition at the the core basics here they were kind of big project mindset and execution focused as they're scaling and growing their team which is becoming very hard to actually get things done and also the right things because it's so project oriented now you shift them to say what are the things that we can do towards a goal or the goal of the project right as opposed to the project being the deliverable that shifts their mindset a little bit more to understand all those nuances of what really matters and what is quality or what needs to get done to solve the problem. And so was there anything in particular that really helped change that mindset or actually to put it into practice? I don't think so. Nothing particularly stands out. One of the things very early on that I would recommend any new PM do, but particularly product leaders, is a listening tour and focusing your first month on listening to the team, getting to know the team. That was incredibly insightful for me, figuring out where things are at, who's really strong and where the weaknesses are, and what are the skeletons in the closet, what are the problems and strengths and weaknesses of the company, getting to know people individually. That surfaced in this example that people wanted to do better here. They just didn't in many cases, we're struggling with the implementation that they've been trying for. I talked to literally every single person in the company, created a template of questions that I asked each of them. And essentially, I put together a report, everything I heard. There was some things that were redacted and only shared with the senior management team, but anonymously, it was 98% of what I heard summarized in a single kind of two-page doc. This is where we're strong. This is where we're weak. This is where I need to I shared that with the entire company. Everybody was incredibly appreciative of that transparency, but the level of detail and rawness that people were willing to share and open up to somebody brand new at the company was surprising. Nobody held back punches. Like everybody told me how it was and it was awesome. That's such an opportunity as a new leader or a new employee in any company, right? You have this fresh perspective and you can kind of play the new person card, right? be vulnerable with me. I'm new. I don't know anything. Get me up to speed. What do I need to know about? Folks love to share. This is for me and you. This is our relationship. Like I might summarize some of this with our other people's feedback and share it, but I'm not going to pin what you say on you individually. So just please be honest with me because I want to help, right? Building that I need to know this so that I can help you succeed was really important. Now, it's something that actually really helped me coming into an organization as a leader of product was having a very clear focus of here's the three things we need. We need help with coaching. We need help with process. We need help with roadmap. Something like that, those focus areas initially, having something to anchor that exploration was really helpful for me. But in some cases that I'm wondering how you experienced this and my past experience, it's not so cut and dry, right? Like sometimes they don't know. And sometimes they just know that, you know, we need someone here. We don't quite know what to do. You are the expert, right? You're coming in as that senior leader over a function and like you tell us kind of what to do, right? Yeah. And so you take this listening tour, you assess the situation and then what, what do you do next? Yeah, it was then to still what are my priorities, right? So I put together a 30, 60, 90 day plan that before starting that I reviewed with the CEO and got alignment for everything in that plan got accelerated in practice. My first month was intended to be just listen and understand. And I had to jump on this execution and agile stuff probably like two to three weeks in before I had actually talked to everybody was hard, but I had a lot of conversations with the CEO in advance to understand like where the company was at. I'd say that all of the above that you said was reality of where the team needed some help. Execution, we touched on customer centricity was really the, honestly the biggest one. Mm. And just like good product management practice, knowingly that 
they were doing it wrong. The CEO was basically dictating the priorities based on a hunch or what he heard from one, maybe two users or customers. And there was a lot of back and forth and shifting of priorities and everything's a priority. So nothing's a priority. And part so, of so many of these, yes. like they needed to bring somebody in to like actually engage with our customers and understand yeah. what problems can we solve? What are they trying to achieve? Bring that jobs to be done mindset to them or to the company with all that formulate a cohesive strategy and vision of where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. That was the thing I pushed on really hard before starting because I needed to make sure the CEO was willing to give me that leash and that responsibility and that he was self-aware that the way that they had been operating was not the right way to be successful. And he was. And I pushed so hard on this because this ends up being a conflict with so many heads of product, particularly oh. at startups. Yeah. And it's one of the causes for short tenures of heads of product at startups is the, these collisions of this is what I think we should do. This is what the CEO thinks we should do. And they misalign and it needed to be like, we're seeing eye to eye and how we're going to go about this. Like you said, so many new heads of product deal with that conflict and especially with visionary led organizations, which startups tend to be when they want to start to scale and grow and they have a product focus intent, they hire this person. Their initial hope is that they find a really good project manager. We had a project manager to execute all my crazy ideas. And that's not recipe for success right and even if there's really good intuition there if there's no trust or understanding of the product acts and why it's important then like you said very short tenures it just doesn't end up working out so tell me <laughs> what is the secret sauce what actually worked for you here i think he to some degree had an epiphany there were some events at the company and he was kind of left to reflect on like, how do we move the company forward and how do we accelerate it towards in the direction that we want it to. And I don't know where he tapped into to get consultation of what he needed, product management, support and leadership, but he did. He talked with me and a couple of colleagues initially and like... Um, con consultative manner to get a sense for what should his team and company look like going forward. That quickly evolved to, I'm interested in filling this role because I'm passionate about the game of golf. But in our conversations, it was like sharing the books that I value in terms of how things work so, in product. So I shared Competing Against Luck with Jobs Done. I shared Inspired by Marty Kagan, Empowered by Marty Kagan. I think those were the three that I shared with him initially and he read them and he like got it and he wanted to give me the runway to operate in this fashion. He knew that he had project managers, frankly. They had formal project managers that didn't know how to do pro proper product management. One of my early challenges was, do we have the right people in place to build the culture and structure that we need? And in some cases, yes. In some cases, we hired new people and other people left the company and things like that. It was a lot of time early on, too, before those people even started setting a structure and a culture of what I want our team to be and how we are going to operate as managers. I think that was really helpful from a recruiting perspective, too, knowing exactly what we're looking for. What did you introduce to get them into the quote unquote right way of doing this or a better way of doing this? What were, maybe get more tactical here. Like what were some yeah. things, practices, coaching, what were the things that you laid out? Three of them come to mind. Two of them fit in the category of 
talking to and engaging with their customers to understand who they are, what they're trying to achieve, their behaviors, their preferences, et cetera, et cetera. We like quickly began doing more surveys as a means to get broader understanding of our audience. And we adopted a user testing platform so we could actually test our product concepts and designs and prototypes with users to get their feedback and help us come to the right solution for their problems. What um, uh, platform did you use? We use Maze. It's been pretty good, cheaper than usertesting.com and had some features that were actually superior. Yeah, I think they've been great. They're a strong alternative to user testing. Those were the two that I really came across that some researchers that I talked to highlighted we should check out. Hired people that know the game of golf and play the game of golf so that they can talk to other golfers on the course and understand our audience. Our prior product or project managers weren't golfers, so they don't know the and can't empathize with the products themselves. Not every product manager can do that effectively. I, as a developer, product manager at Twitter selling B2B products, I can't really empathize myself with our B2B customers and what they're trying to do with the API. But it's an added bonus, right? And it's, I think it's particularly more important in a B2C world. And then what was the other thing? Oh, we started adding a little more rigor to like our evaluation of opportunities and ideas. We created basic lightweight templates that really force us to think through and justify if and why we should work on something. Not just if and why should we do it, but should we do it now? is now the right time relative to other things we could be doing. What were the questions? Yeah, what was the lightweight? Yeah, let me bring it framework. up. So I borrow this from some kind of SDLC or software development lifecycle concepts that I put together at Twitter they, that evolved over the entirety of my time at Twitter. But first section is problem overview. So like, who's your target audience? What are their problems? Why does this matter to them? Why does this matter to them now? How might we measure success? What does the competitive landscape look like in this area? It's all about the problem, leading with the problem, with the solution. This template asks for a sketch of what you think the solution might be. Hopefully you've talked to some customers before you've even gotten to this point. Put in the justification and understanding of the problem. So I'd be leading you in the direction of a solution. At Twitter, we had three templates and it was like a sequential process. And we're trying to keep a lighter weight as a startup that's trying to move quickly and not be too bureaucratic. And at Twitter, was it more like, here's the, the problem opportunity overview template, here's the solution template, and here's a go to market or something like that? Did you divvy it up in yeah. a certain way? Or? There was a like, here's an idea. Is it worth me exploring? Was the first step. Called that the consider stage. Then we had the explore stage, which was like, go talk to customers, validate this is a real thing. Then it, I think the third stage was more like flesh out the solution and enable execution. And the fourth was, how are you going to bring it to market? And it was sequential or serial with significant like approval processes and reviews mm -hmm. and stuff like that at Swingy, like the reviewer and the approver. So it's a little easier and it's more collaborative, right? Whereas that was more staged and it needs to go to a formal review with VPs that might not know anything about what you're talking about. So you have to provide a lot of context or the right level yeah. of context. And justification for like, why is this something that yeah. org should spend any? And if they don't have the context for our business as some of our VPs didn't, it was a lot more difficult. Then this refined process for Swing U is more consolidating it all into one document to making it more efficient, it's still answering those key questions. Yeah. And we do like more asynchronous reviews and get different stakeholders to review it, things like that. But it's not like get everybody in the room for an hour, debate and fight over this and the nuances and the details. And should we do this? Like 
ultimately the buck stops with me. If I say like, we should do this, like, and I'm wrong, then it is what it is. We're getting the CEO and CTOs buy-in things like that, but that's where the justification of the impact and the, the problem space is so critical. Because if you can really say like, this is the problem, this is why it matters to the business, it's hard to refuse some of that. Absolutely. You talked about this approval process. I wanted to maybe hone in on this concept and how it differed from Twitter and Swing U and maybe other organizations, but within healthy product organizations, I've seen this done a specific way, but I'm curious, does the product manager themselves and the individual, or did you, like you were the final decider, did it ever come to a point where there might've been not the, the right thumbs up, the approvals, but you still pursued it because the product makes the decision? Or was it more, you have to get approval to then listen to that execution phase? I've seen both for a long time when we were kind of an atomic unit at Twitter with a lot of isolated support. We didn't have a lot of challenges with product being the approver. People wanted to be in the room and involved in the decision, but it wasn't controversial in most cases. Later, like as we got indoctrinated into Twitter more, it became more controversial, intense, and frankly frustrating because a lot of stakeholders with different incentives. And that was the challenge. And plenty of times we had to like disagree and commit and like the product team was kind of owning the decision, but then we would at times that would come bite us. It would cause friction in terms of the execution process and or later down the line with the market. Kind of went both ways. It's been an interesting journey. Thank you for sharing the path here. As someone that has been similarly into your shoes recently, those pain points are real. They cut deep. I've experienced them myself and it's not a fun time, but I think sharing that lens to our listeners is going to be amazing. So I appreciate you spending the time going through all of this. Of course. And we need to talk a lot more. Yeah. Love to have you on the work. Yeah, for sure. We'll leave our listeners with a bit of homework based on the content that they heard from this week. And then we'll close out with any kind of plugs that you might have or things you want the listeners to take action on. If you were to give any homework to our listeners based on our conversation for this week, would you have anything? The homework I would say is think deeply about what you love about being a product manager, what you want to get out of it, what you're good at. Being head of product or chief product officer is not the sexy role that you might imagine it is early in your career. And there's a lot of opportunity in front of you as an individual contributor. That is the heart of product. Don't assume that you aspire to be head of product. There's a lot of ways to be a product leader besides head of product. Yes. I feel like we can talk a lot about that. Outside of this, homework I would have is around going through a similar process around the jobs to be done framework, building out these personas, trying this thing out, right? Start to analyze if you, a lot of folks don't have user research teams, so learn about it, right? Read some of these books, try to attempt this and see how that influences your strategy. I think it'd be really awesome. And then leverage some of the templates that Adam has put together here in your day-to-day, see how that can drive some better product thinking. A lot of good takeaways here. So we'll have some show notes summarizing that, but yeah, checking um, out competing against luck was going to be one of my plugs. There you go. Love it. What other uh, plugs do you have? Check out coloradoproduct.com. Colorado Product is an amazing organization and community to help support development of product managers across all levels. Again, that's how Kevin and I met. So check us out at coloradoproduct.com. You can about all of our resources and programming. Awesome. Anywhere that our listeners can find you if you choose to be found? Yeah, I'm on Twitter a little bit uh, less <laughs> so these days than I used to be at Atornis. I'm on LinkedIn. Those are the 
the main places. Awesome. We do have a survey on this episode. So if you have other questions, let Adam know what you thought about the episode. If you have other questions for Adam, please enter them in and we'll get it to him and hopefully have him on again. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the show. We so appreciate your time and looks like we finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.